a great word, isn't it? Like bold in the right context for the right reasons. Bold is a fantastic thing. Like the idea that it, bold is doing the right thing despite obstacles, despite difficulties, despite opposition. Being bold enough to do the right, like that's, that's, a, that's a great thing. Being bold enough to say what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, even though it's awkward and uncomfortable and difficult. Like being bold enough to say the right thing at the right time is, is, is a great thing. And, I, and, and, so, and so in my life, when I think of bold, I want to be bold. Just out of curiosity, do you guys, like, if, raise your hand on the count of three if you want to be bold. Like, yeah, there's, there's, there's a big part of my life where I'm like, I, 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 want, I want to be bold like that. I want to be bold, like, do the right thing at the right time because it's the right thing. And even if there's difficulties and obstacles, like, I want to do the right thing. And when it, and when it comes to, like, my life as, as a husband and a, as a pastor and as a dad, like, I want to say the right thing that needs to be said, even if it's a little difficult or awkward, un- uncomfortable. I want to be bold enough to do the right thing, to say the right thing, to be the right person. I want to be bold in that way. I do. But what you know and what I know is that a lot of times bold has this way of looking like dumb. You guys know what I'm talking about? In other words, there, there's some, some forms of bold, like the way many of us think of bold, bold is something we do when we get bored. Like when we've run out of things to do, when we've run out of things to say, when we've run out of, of our normal activities, we kind of go, I'm going to do something bold. You know, I'm going to do something bold. And so um, today I, I, I want to talk about being, being bold in the right kind of way. And I want to talk about how we, how we discover bold. And so to do that, I want to distinguish when bold becomes dumb, okay? Because I think before we talk about just being bold, I want to make sure we know what we're not talking about, okay? So bold for the sake of bold is dumb, right? But you could, you could say it this way, bold for the sake of boredom is dumb, right? What bold for bold sake looks like is one day you get bored in the cafeteria, you get bored at your house, or you get bored somewhere else, and you go, hey, I dare you to dare me to eat that whole ghost pepper, Anyone ever done something like that? Like, hey, I dare you to dare me. Like, if you, if, let me just tell you, if you start the sentence with, I dare you to dare me, you're dumb, okay? Like, that, like it's just, that's not it. That's not smart bold. That's not the bold that we're talking about. If, you, if you've ever been a girl and you're like, and you've got a, you know, like you're sitting around with a, with a bunch of your girlfriends and you see a guy across the Starbucks or a guy across the library and you say, hey, I dare you to dare me to ask that guy out. Okay, like, just go ask him out. You, if, like, if, if you want to do that, you don't need to have, you know, this little back and forth. Like, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of maybe just dumb. Um, or or as, as a parent, as a parent, how many parents we got in the room? As, as a parent, here's what bold looks like as a parent. Because as a single, like as a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, 20, like bold looks different in different phases of life. As a parent of like a toddler, bold for us in this stage is like, hey, I dare you to go take the toy away from the kid. Like I get, oof. you know, and it's like, no, I dare you. And like, no, okay, I guess the kid's just going to play with the toy. Like that's fine. You know, like we're not, we're not that bold. We're not crazy. We're not stupid. For me, when I was, when I was in, when I was in college, I had one of these moments where bold looked a lot like boredom and bold looked a lot like, you know, we just want to, we're just bored and we want to do something. And so there was, I was, I was in Bible college and there was this health and nutrition seminar going on. And, um, I didn't want to go, um, and I didn't want to be there. And I, as you might guess from my body type, I didn't listen to anything. But um, we, we, a couple of us found out that you know, there's this health and nutrition seminar going on, and we thought, you know what would be funny? We got six of us that are like friends. We should go, and we should sit in the health and nutrition seminar. And as soon as they say food pyramid, let's everybody bolt out of their, out of their row, and let's go make a human pyramid. And then we'll yell, food pyramid! And we thought, this is an amazing idea because we were really bored. And so like, so, so we went and we sat through this entire health and nutrition seminar, like on the edge of our seats, just waiting for them to say, food pyramid. And it never happened. 
It was like right after they got rid of the food pyramid, they're like, this is a terrible way to describe, you know, healthy eating. So we got rid of the food pyramid. We're trying to explain the better way to think about nutrition. And we're like, say it, say it. And like, it never happened. So at the end of the thing, like we sat through this entire hour and a half thing and we're like, we didn't say it. Are we going to do it? Yeah, let's do it. And so we still, we got down on, like, and, and made, a, made a human pyramid and yelled food pyramid. And everyone looked, he's like, they're dumb. And it was like, yes, we were. Because we were just being bold and bo- bold for the sake of bored. Now, let me say this. So bold for the sake of bold is dumb. But you want to know what's just as dumb? Bold built on the wrong foundation is dumb. Bold built on the wrong foundation is dumb. For some of us, let's be honest, we feel bold at times in our life because we're really confident in ourselves. Like we feel really confident in ourselves. We feel confident in our abilities, our intelligence, our, our looks, our, our, our physical abilities, whatever it might be. There's times in your life, like there's times in my life where I just kind of feel really self-confident. And in those moments, I go, yeah, I can be bold now. I can be bold now because, because it's Chris, because Chris has got some stuff figured out and Chris has got some things together. So Chris is gonna be bold. And at the end of the day, what you know and what I know and what you figured out and what I figured out is that bold built on me doesn't usually work very well. Bold built on me eventually, like me eventually fails. Me eventually falls. Me eventually does something that's stupid. And my, and my bold turns into something that sets me up for failure. Another thing that's really dumb to build, on, on, uh, build your bold on is, is past success. I mean, just think of this. Like some of you, you've had, like, I, I don't, some of you, I would imagine you're 4.0 students. I, 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 through, until my final semester, I was a 4.0 student in middle school, high school, college. I was a 4.0 student when I was homeschooled too, but that was a little bit of a different thing. You know, I just had to suck up to my mom a little bit. And, you know, but like I was, I was a 4.0 through middle school, through high school, through college. And the reason I say until my last semester of college, my last semester of college, I figured, guys, I'm a 4.0 student. School comes easy for me. And the second that I went, school comes easy. You want to know what my, what my grade point average was my final semester of, of college? I was a 4.0 student who got a 2.7 my final semester of college. Now, I still finish with like a 3.9 because one semester doesn't bring you down that bad. But like, you, you've had moments where like, you, like, just imagine if you did well on your first exam of the semester, if you're a college student, if you did really well on your first exam of the semester, and then the next exam is coming up and you're going... Guys, I don't even need to pre- I don't even need to try. I did so good on the first one, I don't even need to try on this one because I'm just good at taking tests. That's how you fail out of college, all right? We don't build our bold on, on, on self-confidence and we don't build our, our bold on past success. That anytime we build our boldness or build our confidence or build our willingness to face the world and do the right thing and say the right thing and be the, right, the person that we're supposed to be, anytime we build it on the wrong foundation, it ends up falling apart and it leaves us feeling like, oh, I guess I shouldn't be bold again. But what I wanna do for the next few weeks as we start this series is I wanna talk about bold the right way, bold on the right foundation and boldness to be the right people at this day and at this time in our world. And to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at what I think is the best way to find out about what boldness looks like in our world today is by going back 2,000 years to the very beginning of the early church, when the church started out. Because if, the, if, if you've read the book of Acts, one thing that you know and one thing that sticks out to me every time I read the book of Acts is these guys not only were bold, but they described themselves and other people described them 
as bold. And so when we look to try to figure out what boldness looks like and what boldness should play out as, we're gonna, we're gonna find the best examples of how to be bold and how to build our boldness on the right foundation by looking at the early church. So today we're gonna go to Acts chapter two. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, it's gonna be on the screen and you can follow along there. You can follow along on your phone, however you wanna do that. But Acts chapter two, if you're not familiar with Acts, the, the book of Acts is the story of the early church. It's the story of the spread of the gospel immediately after Jesus's immediately after Jesus's time on earth. So if you, just to kind of, you know, if, if, you're, if you're brand new to Bible study and don't know where this falls in the story, Jesus came to earth. Jesus lived uh, for, for 30 years before he entered his public ministry. He spent three and a half years in public ministry where he did more miracles than we could possibly imagine, where he taught things that people were like, whoa, this guy teaches like none of the other religious leaders we've ever heard. And after three and a half years of doing that, he became so popular that the religious leaders of the day said, oh no, we got to kill this guy because that's what you do. And so, and so, and so they, they, they became jealous. They became, you know, they, they, they thought he's going he's gonna to be the downfall of the religious system, which is what Jesus came to do and what Jesus came to be. And so they were kind of right, but they went about it in the wrong way. And so they, so they had Jesus killed and they had Jesus, they handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. Jesus was crucified and everyone thought it was the end of the story. But three days later, you guys know the story. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Spoiler alert. Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, and that's exciting. And, 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 that, and, that, and, and that was a surprise to everyone. It was funny. Jesus predicted his death, predicted his resurrection, pulled it off, and everyone was like, but there's an empty tomb. So who took his body? Like his own followers, his 12 closest guys who believed everything he said, who left families, who left, fisher boat, who left fish boats, who left businesses, who left you know, practices. They're like, I mean, I know he said he was going to die and raise from the dead. There's an empty tomb, so someone must have stolen his body. This, this, like, they were so surprised because no one could pull off what Jesus pulled off, right? And so this is, so this is what happens. And, and, and after 40 days, Jesus is walking around talking with people. He's seen by over 500 people who all died claiming with everything in them, hey, we didn't just, you know, we don't just believe this happened. We saw him. We ate with him. We had breakfast on the beach. Like, like, like we, we were with him. And after 40 days, Jesus, ascends to heaven, Jesus returns to heaven, and everyone's watching like, he can do that too? Like, we saw him walk on water. We didn't know he could levitate. Like, you know, like, that's, like, that's impressive. That's, that's, that's some Jesus-level stuff right there. And so, you know, like, and so, and so they see Jesus go, go, go to heaven, and as Jesus is sending to heaven, he says, go back to Jerusalem and wait, because what I'm about to give you is the Holy Spirit and I just, I want you to wait and pray and wait and pray. So that's about 500 people see him go to heaven. 10 days later, we arrive at what's known as the, as the Feast of Pentecost. And these, and these, and there's the 500 has now dwindled down to 120 because what happens when you have to wait for 10 days for something is a lot of people leave. And so a lot of people left, 380 people to be exact left, but there's 120 people praying together in the upper room. And so in Acts chapter two, here's what we're told. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And then it says this, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, no, we want to talk about tongues today. Just okay, all right, now we're, we're going to talk about it because this is, this is something that I think a lot of people have some questions about. The question that I always think and, and that I always heard growing up, well, how did they know this was a God thing? Like what we have going on here is there's the day of Pentecost. There's this celebration, which it was, it was a Jewish festival, a Jewish celebration. And in the middle of that, God shows up. 
God shows up in some ways that were very identifiable to the people at the time. It wasn't like tongues started out of nowhere. It wasn't like they just started speaking these languages out of nowhere. There was the, there's the, 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 the fire. The fire comes to rest on their hands. If you're, if you're thinking, that sounds weird and that sounds bizarre. Ten days earlier, they had seen a guy float up to heaven. Okay? Like, I'm just like... Mir- like mir- miraculous things were happening at this time, okay? So there's, there's these, fi- this, these little fires on top of their heads that are not, are not burning up anyone. They aren't burning anyone. No one's dying. No one, there, there's these fires that come to rest and they're burning, but they're not consuming. And that in, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish faith, that's always a sign of God's activity. When there's a fire and it's burning, but it's not consuming, that's a God thing, okay? Next, they say there's this sound of a violent rushing wind, but there is no wind, it's another thing in the Old Testament. This is always a Holy Spirit thing. That when the Holy Spirit's moving, there's this violent sound of a rushing wind, but you don't feel any wind. Like nothing's moving, nothing's going. And so they go, okay, we've got a God thing, we've got a Holy Spirit thing, and we've got a new thing. This must be a God thing. This must be a Holy Spirit thing. This new thing is a God thing. That's how they understood that this wasn't just some weird random episode. This was something that God was doing that was new in the world. God used the old to confirm the new. In our lives, God often does that. He bring something that's, okay, this is familiar, this is familiar, this is familiar, this is new, but you can feel comfortable in the new, even though you're stretching, even though you're stepping out, you can feel comfortable in it because I'm here just as I was in the old. Does that make sense? So God will use the familiar to confirm the new. Now in verse five, it says this, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language. You guys say their own language. In other words, they didn't hear babbling. They didn't hear what we, what we often today describe as a heavenly language. They heard their own language. These people from all over the world each heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And that's kind of an insult. The Galileans were not known as educated people. This would be like saying, aren't these guys all from the backwoods of Arkansas? Like, you know, like, I mean, I don't you know. I mean, may, sorry if you have family from the, or if you're from the backwoods of Arkansas, but this would be like, aren't these guys all kind of like hicks? Like, you know, like, aren't these guys all kind of rednecks? You might be a redneck if you're speaking in Galilee. You know, like that type of, like, this is the way, this is what they're saying. They're, like, they're kind of insulting these guys. Like, wait a minute, how are they speaking our languages? These guys are uneducated dudes from Galilee. So aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this, what does this mean? What does it mean? So let me tell you, the, the Feast of Pentecost, again, we, we talk about churches as being Pentecostal churches. Pentecost existed long before the day of Pentecost, okay? Long before this episode, the, the Feast of Pentecost existed. This was, a, this was a long-term thing. This was a thing that was on the calendar of the Jewish people. This was to celebrate something very important in the Jewish calendar. So, they would, so this was a thing where people from all over the world would gather in Jerusalem, they would, they would flock to Jerusalem. They would get to Jerusalem because this is where we celebrate with our family. This is what our tradition is. This is where we go. This is what we do. This is how we celebrate. So they would head back to celebrate the Passover, or sorry, to celebrate the, the, the Feast of Pentecost. It was 50 days after the Passover. 
It was 50 days after the Passover. And so they would go and they would celebrate the Feast of, the feast of Pentecost. And while they're there, so God is using this at this moment where there's people from all over the world and they've come together in Jerusalem and God does a miracle where these uneducated fishermen and these uneducated tax collectors and these uneducated teenagers, because that's most of who Jesus was actually hanging around, these uneducated people are speaking the language that they don't understand and they don't know it and they don't recognize it. They don't know what they're even saying. Like they're going... I don't know what I'm saying. Like, you know, like just imagine one day you start speaking, you know, Bangladeshian. I don't think that's the name of the language, but like, let's just imagine you do. Or one day you start speaking perfect Spanish and you, you know, you have like zero Spanish, you know, abilities. You, you didn't even take Spanish one in high school and you're speaking perfect Spanish because you're in Mexico and you're proclaiming the works of God. This is what was happening. God used this moment in time, this moment where many people from many nations would be around and God touched down on these human beings and said, you're not going to speak a heavenly language. You're not going to babble. You're not, pre teach, you're not praying a prayer language. You are going to be speaking actual human earthly languages and you're not praying to God. You're talking to people and you may not recognize, but you're spreading the gospel. And so these people, they're going, well, what does this mean? We're hearing about these events that we didn't see. We weren't here 50 days ago. We didn't see Jesus die on the cross. We, you're, you're talking about this guy, Jesus, and we haven't even heard of him because we weren't around before. You're talking about a resurrection, and we don't know what that's all about because wouldn't, have some, wouldn't someone have to die to be raised to life? And, like, and they're hearing the story of Jesus proclaimed in their own language, and they're going, what does this mean? And then in verse 13, it says this. Some, however, this is one of my favorite. I love that this is included in the Bible. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. <laughs> yeah, because drunk people get really good at speaking languages they've, they've never heard before, right? Yeah, yeah, no. oh, oh, yeah, yeah, just drank too much and you became, began speaking perfect Roman. Okay, yeah, per perfect Latin. Okay, yeah, perfect Greek. Yeah, that makes sense. No, this, uh, this wasn't happening. But they go like, well, they're crazy. They've just had too much wine. And this is great. Then Peter stood up. Peter, would you guys say Peter. And Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Now, Peter has become the spokesman for, 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 the early, for the early church. He stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. And then he says, listen carefully. Listen carefully. Listen carefully to what I have to say. I mean, in this moment, everyone who's asking, like, what does this mean? And he says, let me, let me, let me, let me tell you what this means. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> now, this is, what, this is why John got the name John the Baptist. Peter does not have a, Peter's a non-denominational title, right? Like this, oh, I thought that'd be funnier. Anyway, so like, you know, you've got John, you know, Peter was not a good Baptist boy. Peter was not a good AG boy. Peter was not, you know, like, Peter was not like, well, I, you know, guys, we're not drunk because we don't drink. He's like, guys, they're not drunk. It's too early for that, which is interesting, you know? <laughs> Include that in the Bible. Like, like it, <laughs> I don't know, like stick that in your cup and, and mug and drink a cup. I don't know. What am I even saying? So he says, look, guys, this is not what's happening. They're not drunk. It's too early for that. And then as it, like, that's, his, that's his starting point, like, which is like just wonderful. Like, hey, guys, I know you all think you're drunk. They're not. It's too early. Ah, Maybe start the sermon a different way, Peter. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So then he goes on and he explains what is happening. Now, but before we get there, let me, let me tell you something about Peter. Peter, 50 days earlier, you want to know what Peter was doing? Freaking out. Peter was scared to death. I know, I know it's International Women's Month or National Women's Month, so I don't mean this as an insult, but Peter was running around like a scared little girl. 
Peter was running around like my daughter when I go, boo, and she goes, ah! And then she goes, ah! But Peter wasn't going, ah! He was just going, ah! Peter was scared for his life. Peter had 50 days ago had seen his best friend arrested, crucified, put to an end. Peter had believed that Jesus was the coming Messiah. Peter had believed that Jesus was the Lord. Peter had believed that Jesus was going to be a king, even though Jesus said he wasn't going to be a king like everyone else on earth believed that he was going to be a king. Peter had, had believed all that, and then he saw the story come to an end. And when Jesus was arrested and when Jesus was let off, Peter pulled out a sword to strike someone and he cut someone's ear off. And Jesus said, don't do that. He put the ear back on and, Jesus was, and Peter was like, what? <laughs> He's not even a re resisting the arrest. He's healing the people who came to arrest and lead him off. And, and Peter just walked away. And Peter is so ashamed of the entire thing. He is hiding, he's running, he's on the run for his life. And when he's confronted by teenage girls, which I get this, like teenage girls can be intimidating. I was a, I was a youth pastor for a long time. Like, what's that shirt? I don't know, I'm sorry. You know, like, you know, like they go, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, no. Weren't you with Jesus? Mm-mm. I want, like, the, the opposite of bold is Peter. Peter was terrified. Peter was weak in this moment. Peter was everything that, that we didn't know Peter. I mean, in, in Peter's time with Jesus, Peter was the guy who was bold often just for the sake of being bold. Sometimes he was bold because of what he believed Jesus was, not because of what Jesus said he was. Peter had bold that had been built on the wrong things. And so Peter ran for his life because everything he built his, his life and his boldness on fell apart. But 50 days later, Peter is now standing up and he's telling everybody about something important that has happened. And everyone there, everyone in the 120 that's listening to Peter explain to these thousands of people is going, what happened to Peter? 50 days ago, this dude was terrified. 50 days ago, this guy wouldn't admit to a teenage girl that he knew Jesus. And he's standing up now proclaiming to thousands of people in the open air about Jesus. And what happened to Peter? Here's what happened to Peter. Verse 16, he says, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And then he said, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be Saved. He draws their attention to something that they have long hoped for, something that the prophet Joel spoke nearly 500 years before the events of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. He said, look, there is going to be a day that comes where God will pour out his spirit and it won't happen in a temple and it won't happen to a priest and it won't happen to a single prophet. It's going to happen to everyone. God's spirit will not just be for a select few. God's spirit will be for everyone, everywhere, for all time. This is coming. He says, look, what you have prayed for, what you've believed for, what you've hoped in, what you've hoped and dreamed that someday in your wildest dreams you might get to see it or your kids or your grandkids might get to see it, it's happening before your very eyes right now. That's what he says. And then he says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, by wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. In other words, the crucifixion, the betrayal of Jesus, it was not a surprise to God. This was all part of God. It wasn't like, well, God had to figure out how to use this. This was part of God's plan. 
played a part, but this is ultimately God's plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You want to know what the gospel was? I mean, we, if you've been around the church world, we talk about the gospel a lot. And there's a lot of people who have some different definitions of the gospel. You know what the gospel was from the very beginning? From the very beginning, the gospel was this. Jesus came from God. Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was actually God come to earth. And he came as one of us, but he was God the whole time. He was man the whole time. He came from heaven. He lived on earth as a man. He lived on earth as, as, as somehow a God man. And we don't understand how that works. But when, when God's involved, things that shouldn't work, work. And so Jesus came from heaven. Jesus lived among us as the perfect son of God. He came from heaven. You killed him, which is a bold thing to say, right? Hey, Keith, you killed him, right? Like, if, like hey, Sarah, you killed Jesus. Like, just in, like sitting with thousands of people who have never heard of Jesus. Hey, Emily, sorry, you killed Jesus. You killed him. You killed him. All of you, you killed Jesus. That's what Peter's doing. That's the gospel. Jesus came from God. We are all responsible for his death. Whether you were there in, in the crowd that, that cheered his death, whether you're there in the crowd that condemned him to death, that said, give us Barabbas instead or whatever, we all had a part to play. And you think, like, wow, no, 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 I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I'm 2,000 years later. Well, guess what? We all have a responsibility. Jesus didn't just die for the people that were, existed then and there. Jesus died for everyone for all time. We killed him. Says Jesus came from God, you killed him, God raised him, because God's better than you, you killed him, God raised him, and new life is found in him. That's the gospel. That's Peter's gospel. That's what our hope is in. That's what, that's what our founda the foundation of our faith is. That Jesus came from God and he wasn't just a man and he wasn't a man who at some point along the way figured out, oh man, I think I'm actually God. Like that, that wasn't the story. He didn't become better and better and better and all of a sudden get like, wow, I reached a state of perfection. He was God the whole time and he was man the whole time. He came from God. We killed him. We put him on the cross. Our sin, my sin, your sin. It put Jesus on the cross and he died, but God raised him, and now new life is found in him. For Peter, that's the whole story. That's the whole story. That's the game changer. And so Peter then goes on to say, he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, he died and he was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses. Would you guys say witnesses? That's an important word. That's a big word. In other words, you believe, and I believe today, because for thousands of years, people have passed on the words of what these people saw. In other words, they weren't telling people, hey, guys, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. They said, no, 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 I saw him die. And then I ate breakfast with him on the beach. I'm a witness. I'm not telling you what I hope is true. I'm not telling you what I wish is true. I'm not making up some fantasy and telling you like it's a story that you should believe because I believe it. No, no, no. I'm telling you what I saw. I'm telling you what I heard. I'm telling you, I put my finger into the, into the nail hole in his wrist and it was gross, but I was there. I saw it. I touched him. This happened. We are witnesses of it. It says, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father... 
He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has now poured out what you now see and hear. This is connected to what Jesus did. Without what Jesus did, the Holy Spirit couldn't come to us as individuals. That's what, Paul, that's what Peter's saying. Because of what Jesus did, now the Holy Spirit can come to every individual that, that Jesus died for. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Because Peter really wanted to remind him, you did it, you did it, you did it, you did it, you did it. You did it. Whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It says this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And imagine hearing this. Imagine, imagine you weren't there. You weren't in Jerusalem 50 days prior. You didn't see it. But if someone's telling you, guys, if 120 people are standing up and they're saying, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. And I'm telling you, this guy, he was special. And for some reason we put him to death, but he was so special that God raised him from the dead. A new life is found in him. And they go, okay, well, I mean, this isn't just one dude's testimony. This isn't one guy's story. This is 120 people backing it up. This happened. So what, so, so what are we supposed to do as a result? It says this in verse 838. Peter replied, repent. In other words, turn yourself. Change your mind. Change your heart. Change your direction. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins. That whole thing about new life is found in him. You want to know why new life is found in him? Because he came to be the forgiveness of our sins. He came to be the, the person that if, our, if we place our trust in him, if we repent and turn to him, if forgiveness of our sins is made available through him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You know what's interesting? Peter was talking about you. And Peter was talking about me. When Peter said, for all who are far off, he didn't just mean geographically. He meant for time and space. Like, that, like hey, geographically, we're about as far as you can get from Israel. Time, we're 2,000 years away. And Peter was saying, look, for all who the Lord God will call, for all who are far off, and we're far off, and we're far away, and we're far in the future. And Peter was talking about us. Beautiful. And here's whatever, what the other thing I think is amazing. 50 days prior, there's a crowd chanting, his blood be on us and our children. And Peter says, yeah. You didn't know what you were saying, but it is. His blood was made available for you and for your children and for your families. And for thousands of years, for as long as it takes until God returns, until Jesus returns, his blood is available for everyone. For everyone. You want to know what changed Peter? That simple gospel. That simple, that, that simple gospel that we put, put up, if you'd put that back up. That simple gospel that, you know what? Jesus came from God, and you killed him, but God raised him, and new life is found in him. Now, but you know, you know what's, what I think is so fascinating about that simple gospel is simply this, is that before the resurrection of Jesus, Peter believed three out of those four things. During Jesus' time on earth, Peter believed that Jesus came from God. Now, he didn't know exactly how much. He, he was like, you know, I, I believe he was sent from God. I don't know if it's like son of, I don't, I, gotta, I don't understand how it works, but I believe he came from God. And before the resurrection, Peter knew his best friend had died. Peter knew the crowd had killed him. And Peter, before Jesus was resurrected, while Jesus was walking the earth, Peter believed that Jesus had the keys to a new life. 
Peter believed that following Jesus would bring him a new life on this earth. So what changed Peter? What changed Peter is that third one. Peter saw a resurrected Savior, that God raised him. God raised him. We killed him, God raised him. We killed him, God raised him. Jesus' death was not the end of a story, but it was the beginning of a brand new story. And if you want to know what changed Peter, that's what changed Peter. Peter saw his best friend die. Peter walked into an empty tomb. And Peter later saw his best friend again, walking, talking, eating, walking on water once again, because that's something Jesus does. Fishing, eating fish. I mean, like, it, it was, it, like this is what Peter saw, and it changed Peter from a man who built his bold on self-confidence and built his boldness on what he thought was God supposed to be, was supposed to be like. And he now saw God and saw Jesus for who Jesus really was, the resurrected Lord and Savior come from God that we killed, but that wasn't the end of the story. It was the beginning of a brand new story for all humanity. That's what changed Peter. The story ends this way. It says this, verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's a pretty good opening day as a church. 3,000 people. What changed Peter? Peter, I mean, Peter saw his, his best friend die, and he saw his best friend raised from the dead. And he believed that everything that his best friend had said about himself was actually true that Jesus really did come from God and we all had a part in killing him, but God raised him because there's a new life to be found in him. That's what Peter believed. And what I would say is simply this, what changed Peter? What changed Peter was that and what changed Peter changed the world. What changed Peter changed the world. It changed 3,000 lives on that day and it's been changing lives ever since. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. I would say it this way. When, it, when we come to our boldness, when we come to building bold on the right thing, when it comes to building bold on, and being bold men and women and trying to build it on the right thing, here's what I would say. The rec resurrection is the only lasting foundation for bold living. The resurrection, the idea that Jesus came from God. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. He died for the sins of every person who would ever live, man, woman, and child. He died for every, every race that would ever be in existence. Like he died for everyone, for all time, everywhere. And then that wasn't the end of the story. It was actually the beginning of the story. It was God fulfilling everything that he had promised long ago. It was bringing one chapter to a close and bringing in, into the beginning of a brand new story. The resurrection is the foundation. It's where we get our boldness from. It's where we get our confidence from. It's where we get our boldness from as we follow God. It's where we get our boldness from as we try to follow God in marriage, as we try to follow God as single people. It's where we get our boldness from as we follow God in parenting, in grandparenting, at work, in your career, at your school, wherever you are. You can be a bold man or woman because Jesus rose from the dead and you don't have to worry and hope and fear. You can have confidence that God is for you because God is for you. That's the foundation for bold living. And so if you're wondering what that looks like, this is the, this is the beginning of, of the series, so I don't want to go too far, too fast. But here's what I think this should cause us to live like. If you're wondering what bold looks like to me, what I, what I think you see in, these, in, in this instance and what we're going to study and just to kind of set it up, bold living for, as, as a follower of Jesus, what, what, our, what our boldness shouldn't look like because of the resurrection, we are not hopeful, we're confident. In other words, we do not live hoping that God will do something for us. We live knowing that God has already done the most amazing thing and the most powerful thing that ever could be done for us. 
that on your own, you have no shot of reconnecting with your heavenly father, but God, knowing that you couldn't, he made a way that he sent Jesus, that he sent Jesus and Jesus didn't meet us part way. Jesus came the entire way to where we, where we are and he made the bridge to be our connection to our heavenly father. He did everything. And so we don't have to hope that, man, I, well, I hope God likes me today. Well, I hope God's for me today. I hope God, I hope God's, God approves of me today. At the end of the day, here's what, I, here's what I would hope that you would understand. You do not have to live hoping that God likes you today. You know it. His son went to a cross for you. His son went to the grave for you. His son raised from the dead for you so that you could have a new life and a new confidence that God really is for you. And he's with you. And he knows what you're going through and he knows what you've been through. And he's been through it all and he paved the way for a new reality. We don't have to be hopeful. We're confident. And so let me just say, for some of you guys... Some of you, you will not start living boldly until you settle that, until, until you settle that. Because some of you, you're like, you're, you're, you get up every morning and you're wondering and you're going, well, I, I, hope, I hope God does something for me today. I hope God likes me today. I hope God likes me today. And until you settle the, the fact in your mind, you could not be more loved by God than you were 2,000 years ago. And he loves you today the same as he loved you 2,000 years ago on a cross. Until you settle that, you will not experience the bold life that God has for you or the bold faith that God has for you. But if you'll settle that in your mind that you are as loved as you can possibly be, that becomes the foundation. You know what? I can live confidently knowing that God is with me, that he's for me, that he hears my prayers, and that he walks with me in the fire and he walks through me with me on the good days. He's there every single day. That makes me not hopeful. That makes me confident. The second thing that should make us is it should make us not fearful. It should make us fearless. Now, what, here's what's fascinating about this. I wrote this, I wrote this sermon five, five months ago. I wrote this sermon five months ago. You got to... Um, you guys know what's happening in the world right now? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, it, and five months ago, I was, I was reading this book about the early church and about the early Christians. And I was reading it from, it was actually written about the perspective that Roman governors and Roman emper emperors had about these early pesky Christians. And what was happening in the Roman, in the Roman Empire, in the Roman world, there was many plagues that would happen. You know, every 50 years, every 100 years, there would be a new plague. And it would come up and it would affect this city and this city and this city and this city. And when the Roman, and when the Roman world would experience these plagues, they would shut down cities and the priests would move away and the officials would move away and all the wealthy people that could would move away. And all the people who believed in the Roman pagan gods got out of town. They got out of Dodge. And what would happen is the Christians... Would, would see sick people, dying people, people who had been affected by the plague, and they would say, everyone's leaving, let's go in and let's take care of these people. And these Roman governors and these Roman emperors, they would say, these pesky Christians are making us look bad. Our priests look terrible because our priests are running away, away from hurting people, and they're running to hurting people. They're running away from disease, and they're running to the disease. And they said, it's as if they don't fear death. You can read this in history. It's fascinating. They go, it's as if these Jesus followers don't fear death. As if they don't fear death. You want to know why they thought they didn't fear death? Because they didn't fear death. Because when your guy died and then you ate breakfast with him three days later you know death is not the end of the story. 
There is life to come even after death. And so if God performs a miracle and we end up helping people and healing and seeing people be healed by God, that's amazing. If we go and we serve people and they get better, but we contract it and we die, that's okay too, because we know that there's a life to come. And so here's, what, here's, why, I say, here's why, why I say this is so amazing. Five, five months ago, I wrote this. And I had no idea that there was going to be this thing called the coronavirus. And I think in, in the world, we, we, tend to freak, we tend to just freak out, don't we? Like when stuff happens, we freak out and we act like we have to be afraid. And here's the thing. I think like, you know, when the CDC says something, we should pay attention to it. You know, it, it, like the CDC put out this thing about shaving and beards. And I was like, man, I'm really tempted. Like, I, like I, you know, I, I don't know that I want to, I don't think I want people to see this. But, you know, like, like I, you know, I'll, I'll keep it trimmed nice and tight and, you know, handshaking and hand sanitizing. Like, I, like we, should, we should be wise. We should absolutely be wise. We should pay attention that when, you know, people who know what they're talking about say things, we, we should listen. But at the same time, we should never be people of fear. Never. Never. We should absolutely be people of wisdom. We should not be people of fear. And I think as Christians, we've kind of gotten a bad reputation over the last, like, I don't know, five, ten years, whatever, as, as the spread, as the whole fake news thing, you know, kind of popped up. Because there's anything, anything that we don't want to be afraid of, we call it fake news so that we don't have to be afraid. And I just want to let you know, something can be absolutely real and you still don't have a reason to fear. Because death is not the end of the story. Death is not the end of the story. We have no reason to fear. And let me tell you another thing that you have no reason to fear. You don't have to fear someone questioning your faith. Because your faith is not built on a fantasy. Your faith is built on an ultimate reality. See, fantasy would not have overcome Roman crucifixion. Fantasy didn't survive the grave. Fantasy doesn't survive Nero's Christians as human torch dinner parties. I mean, when, when Nero became emperor and he started lighting his garden dinner parties with Christians, not like holding candles, like being the candles, if it's a, built on a fantasy, we all turn away and Christianity thrived because it wasn't built on a fantasy. It was built on reality. Fantasy doesn't survive the Roman Colosseum. Fantasy didn't survive intense communist persecution in the Cold War Soviet Union or in communist China. Your faith is not based on a fantasy. It's based on the ultimate reality that Jesus raised from the dead. That's what your faith is built on. And everything else flows from that. So when someone questions your faith, bring it on. Bring on the best questions you have. The answers are even better. We're not, fearless. We're not fearful, we're fearless. And then finally, we're not swayed, we're steady. And here's what I want to say. If you're bold only when life is good, your boldness is built on the wrong thing. Your, your boldness is built on the goodness of life. I just want to say, I want my boldness to be built on the goodness of God, not on the goodness of life. Because life is, going to, life is a roller coaster. There's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. I do not want my, my boldness built on something that's shifting and something that's moving and something that's swaying and something that goes all over the place because if I, that's what my life is built on, I will go all over the place and I will go up and down. I'm not swayed, I'm steady because God said once and for all, I'm for you. I want a relationship with you. I'm with you. I go before you. I go behind you. So you don't have to be swayed by the ups and downs in life. You can be confident. You can be steady. And so, you can, so, you can, so you can look at life and go, you know what? The ultimate reality of my life is that Jesus raised from the dead. I'm going to trust that that is what's true. And so today, today got real bad. For some of you, you've, you've had the week that you had, it was awful. And you can look and go, you know what? This week, it got bad. It got bad. Things got bad. The letter I got, the email I got, the denial, you know, the, um, the rejection that I got, 
I asked this person out and they said no. The news that we got, the, the diagnosis that we got, I mean, it was bad. It was bad. And in the middle of the bad, you can look up and you, but Jesus is still risen. And so I'm not going to go to the place that I would go if my life is built on, on the goodness of life. I'm going to stay steady. That doesn't mean you don't get sad. It doesn't mean you're not affected by the bad things that happen in life. But it means you don't go low when life goes low. You know, life didn't go the way I expected last month. For some of you, there were some sales things that you thought, like, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and it didn't happen. And all of a sudden, your financial picture changed, and, 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 and your relationships changed, and job situations changed, and, and it changed. And you, you know, like, it just didn't go as I expected it was going to go in the last month. But Jesus is still the risen Savior. And so it wasn't what I expected, but Jesus is still alive. And then on the days where life is real good, some of you, 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 you went on that date and it was amazing and you went on the date and you figured like, you know what, it's a first date, but I'm pretty sure we're going to get married. Slow down. But like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, and it, it, it was that good of a date and they said yes and you got accepted to the place and you got accepted to your master's program or the doctoral program or you got, a, or you got promoted at work or you found out that you're pregnant and you've been, you know, hoping and trying for a long time and you found out that, you know, that, that, you know, the, the ring came in so that you could propose. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what, like life just got really good. All the sales happened. The promotion came. I mean, like all the sales happened. It, I meant it like you, you, you know, sold things, but you could also be like, you know, sales happened and I got some shoes. You know, like life was just real good. Life was real good. And you want to know what happens on the day that life was real good? Jesus is still the risen Savior. And so I don't go high when life gets high. I don't go low when life gets low. I don't go all over the place because life went all over the place. I keep my eyes focused on the ultimate reality that Jesus is the Savior. He's unmoving. He's not shifting. He's not swaying. He doesn't move. He's not shaken. And so when life shakes me, the one thing that doesn't move is Jesus. And I keep my eyes fixed on him. I keep my life fixed on him. And I build my bold on him. That's where we start. That's where bold starts from. And if you're thinking, man, that's a heck of a first punch in a five-week series, be back next week. We go big from here. This is where we build our bold from. This is bold that's not dumb. This is not bold that's built on boredom. This is not bold that's built on the wrong foundation. This is bold built on the only foundation that will last and will stand the test of time. And that's where we start to build our bold. Let me pray for you.